It's a symphony of percussion. Two-time former champion David Benavidez. He could be a megastar. Takes on Ronald Ellis in a super middleweight clash. Ellis has the look of a guy possessed. Plus Isaac Cruz, fresh off of one of 2020's biggest knockouts. Saturday, March 13th, it's an action-packed doubleheader, live on Showtime. Revely, revely, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. Levity, levity, donks. Indeed, it is Friday, March 12, 2021. And right here, this thing's called Morning Combat. It is the place to be for combat sports talk and then some. I'm the beige one, the man with the BDE, the big one, the big C, the big BBC. Where the hell am I right now? I'm Brian Campbell from CBS Sports and Showtime and many other places that are willing to sign the checks. And uh, I'm fired up today. Orange background, no J Friday, a lot of great stuff to get into. And I'm nothing without that man on the other side of the screen. He's hairy, but he is the best in the world at what he does. What does he do? Well, that's really up to you. But his name is Luke Thomas of CBS Sports, an animal in these parts. Rawr, rawr, like a dungeon dragon, Luke. Great to be back with you, brother. That was a weird intro. Uh, hi. <sighs> hey, Luke, we got a great show for these people today, okay? We're going to set the stage for the weekend fights to come, everything from... A true uh, important welterweight clash topping UFC fight night in Las Vegas to a must-see boxing fight between two guys Luke probably hasn't heard of. And also, Showtime Championship Boxing back Saturday night. Shortly, we're going to take you to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Uncasville, Connecticut to get an update on the weigh-in. David Benavidez, Ronald Ellis, a super middleweight clash coming your way. Lots of news to react to, Luke. Lots of stuff to get excited about. Um, weird introduction Notwithstanding, Luke, how are you, bro? How's the how's the uh, the the project reformation you're in the middle of here physically? Good, how's just, how's life? It's one day at a time, dude. You know you can't expect fast results, so just gonna need some time. But day by day, it's good. I am quite sore this morning because as I sent you pictures yesterday and and video, did some front squats in my front yard while the construction crew tore up the the street in front of me. And they all gave me weird looks, but BC, as I explained to you, I don't have the luxury of just deciding what is what is weird for the convenience of my neighbors and or municipal workers. I've got stuff to do, and it's legal, so suck it. <laughs> I've got gains to get, is what you're saying. Um, look, it's a little quasi-white trash, what you're pulling off there in your front yard. But <laughs> Quasi, look, um, it's completely white trash. In, in a city known for, for violence, that's a great security system right there. Just standing outside in your front lawn, lifting, doing squats, and just intimidating people of all creeds and colors walking by. Well, like Columbia, D.C. is only known for violence from the 80s and early parts of the 90s. It's been quite safe and, in fact, one of America's safest cities for quite some time. But uh, sure, if that makes you feel better. Okay, sorry to anger you there, Luke. Looks like we're not Detroit or Memphis here, folks. All right, so cut us. Some yeah, listen, slack. I've been. I've. Been, what's the you know? So in New Orleans, it's uh, Bourbon Street. What is the equivalent on in Memphis? I always forget Beale Street. Beale is that what Street. It is? Yeah, Beale yeah. Street. Yeah. I've been to Beale Street. It was a little unnerving. It wasn't quite as corporate as they like to make it out to be. 
All right, all right. Luke, uh, I'm getting word that Isaac Cruz, who's in the co-main event of Saturday's Showtime card, just weighing in at 134 pounds. He's fresh off a knockout of a lifetime uh, consideration in his last bout. We'll be checking in on that. Uh, please, speaking of Showtime, it's a great time right now to start your 30-day free trial in fact, I think you need to, right? Combat Sports, it has a new home. It is Showtime. Go to Showtime.com. 30 days for free. Then how about this introductory offer for new subscribers? Get on this Bellator MMA exclusive train. $4.95 a month for your first six months. Bellator MMA is exclusively going to be found on Showtime. Kicking off on April 2nd with Patricio Pitbull, Emmanuel Sanchez, the rematch. You don't want to miss that. Great docs and programming in between. Also, uh, get decked out in the Morning Combat merch while it's still available. Head over to store.show.com. Our relaunch of 2.0 is coming, but uh, the classic look, the Bill & Jen RV uh, green sweatshirt look that that's still available out there, so check that out. Uh, Manich, I'm going to need you to stay in my ear. Keep me abreast of what's going on there uh, over at the Mohegan Sun. But, uh, Luke, uh, you know, we're fresh off the studio together earlier this week. Um, I'm ready to take this show to the uh, to the to the stratosphere, to the next level, okay? You're going to come with me, all right? Yep. They said they're going to get Benavidez, Benavidez in a moment. That's what they're telling <sighs> us. Luke, nobody fills moments like I do, okay? Nobody <laughs> fills holes, right? Uh, sure. I don't know what that means. You couldn't get without one sentence without describing things below your waist. But yes, if it makes you feel better, I'll say the word yes. All right. All right. By the way, shout out to uh, Morning Combat's uh, social team, Luke, for attempting to get us fired by putting out a Milwaukee Bukaki video that, uh, so that all my family members can uh, like on IG and distance themselves from me and members of my church. So thank you so much, folks. Yes. Really appreciate you having our back on that. All right. What happens in MK? Stays in MK. All right, let's go over to the Mohegan Sun in uh, Uncasville, Connecticut. Showtime Championship Boxing Saturday night. Let's go to the scales. And Ronald Ellis. He is your challenger for the main event there, Luke. David Benavides does not have a world title right now. He's been st stripped of his WBC title twice, including last fall for not making weight ahead of the Romer-Angulo fight. But here he comes, still one of the best in the world at 168, one of the world's most exciting fighters, Luke, 24 years old. Benavides stepping to the scale. He missed this last time. I'm assuming he made it this time. Last time, remember, he blamed... I mean, he didn't blame, blame, but last time he kind of indicated that not knowing what the restrictions were going to be around COVID uh, kind of messed him up. This time, 167.2 BC. Looks like you made it. Ellis, same thing. Uh, yeah, Ellis coming in at 167.2, both the same weight. Luke, let's set the stage quickly here. We're certainly going to get into the UFC fight this weekend. But a big return here for David Benavidez, who, Luke, um, I talked to him this week on Morning Combat, and here's what's interesting. You know, he sees this Ellis fight as a tough challenge, but he thinks he's got more in the tank, more, uh, you know, pluses than minuses in this matchup. He thinks he's going to roll. He wants the big names. He wants Canelo. He wants Caleb Plant. Those two have a beef going way back. You can, in fact, check out the, uh, the near fisticuffs they had on YouTube a few years back. But Luke, uh, did this man fall out of the Canelo sweepstakes just simply by losing his title on the scales last time? In your he, eyes? he fell out of the conversation completely because of that. Because if you go back to the fight, the fight he had a good performance, or at least a pretty good one anyway. Wouldn't call it his best, but you know it was good. And since then, in your interview and frankly every other one I've seen him do, he's been out there savaging Billy Joe Saunders, Caleb Plant. I think he's even going after the Charlos. To anybody who is potentially in the way of him getting a fight with Canelo, he's gone after, which is the play you have to make, but it really, really hurt him 
to lose that world title. He has become not not to the insiders who know like wow he could actually be an interesting fight for Canelo. I mean honestly depending on how he develops BC that could be your most interesting fight because he'll be what. 26, 27 by the time he might qualify for one with Canelo or b- before they're able to make it, given all the things that are happening around them. At that point, it could be a very different fight than it is today. And even today, you might think it's competitive. So he really has a big task of not just beating Ellis, who is, I think, a good fighter, but not the kind that Benavides has stumbled against. And past that, a lobbying campaign to reintroduce himself into this larger conversation about who Canelo should fight. I think you're right, and he did mention in my interview uh, hearing that Jamal Charlo, you know, has whispered rumors about the idea of moving up for to 68. Right now, Jamal has a WBC middleweight title, and he's open to that fight. But he's 24 years old, Luke. Uh, you know, it's it's tough. He doesn't have a title, and right now, you kind of need a title in this division to get the super big fights. Why? Because Canelo, the sport's biggest star, is unifying left and right. He's got Billy Joe Saunders coming up, trying to get the third of those fourth titles, and then, of course, is already, according to rumors uh, on the internet in discussions with Eddie Hearn and company about, uh, you know, with the PBC about making the Caleb Plant fight this fall. If you're Benavidez, you want to stay winning, hopefully, that so that if Canelo comes out of that transaction with the four belts, your undisputed champion, that this would be the fight to make. And now, look, I'm not just going to sit here and say once Canelo gets all four belts, he's going to need to take this fight. Who knows what he'll do? History's showing us, though, Luke, that Canelo wants this kind of smoke and Benavides has an interesting combination of it. He's big for the division, as you can see in these highlights. He's a volume puncher. He gets on top of you. And I think he's starting to put together more craft, relying on his jab more, not just you know walking in and, and being there to be hit, but also trying to just outman you. Here's the guy who's putting his skills together. And a couple of things I like that he told me, Luke, is you know he doesn't hide from what he's been through in the past. He lost the title the first time in 2018 with the cocaine issue. He lost the title again where he's saying, look, quarantine prevented me from using the sauna in the hotel or doing road work, you, you know, whatever on that. But the maturity comes, Luke, at certain key moments in your life. He's got a six-month-old son. He's a first-time father here. And he just moved his training camp back to Big Bear, California at Elevation and went three months away from his Mm. family. The reason why that's important, Luke, the last time he did that was when he was rising toward his first title shot. Do you remember that knockout he had of Porky Medina, that highlight reel one that still lingers where he landed like eight or nine unanswered punches to knock him under the ropes? That was when he was last in this type of serious uh, preparation for it, Luke. Maybe he puts the missteps of his youth behind him now, and he's got a platform to do that against a tough Ronald Ellis. I echo everything you're saying, and two more points to consider here. He has had his share of indiscretions. Nothing egregious, but they're they're frequent enough where you're like, dude, really? Like This is why you're stumbling in your career? Because you can't just seem to cross your T's and dot your I's? But as a fighter, A, he could be moving away from that. And two more things I, I think deserve to be mentioned. One, these highlights kind of allude to it, but it's important to recognize, BC, he is a very versatile fighter. He can fight in a lot of different circumstances, at range, but with his back along the ropes. He can do it backing up. He can do it going forward. He's got a fair degree of utility there in terms of his wider skill set. And the other thing I would say, BC, is I think you are right to say he is a volume puncher. That is true, but it also deserves to be noted that while I wouldn't call him the power puncher that Canelo Alvarez is, he can he does have fight ending power as well. He can get that done. So especially at twenty four BC, he can build on that. I mean, how 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 heavy handed is he gonna be when he really cleans up his technique and everything else and he's twenty seven, twenty eight? Dude, he might start putting it on guys. So he's a really versatile talent. It's just he's gotta find a way to 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 
center and direct all of his efforts in a more you know meaningful and professionally rewarding kind of way, which that starts tomorrow. Yeah, and some people have said for me that starts right now. You know, a lot of pressure on me to host this show today, Luke, and really bring it. The uh, you know, I, I had a slip up right during Wednesday's reading of the tweets, the the broken English. It was a you know, it was a that's my second brain freeze of the week, Luke. I think I'm yeah. Not, but how know. about how about Tuesday's Porky Pig moment? How about how about how about how about no disassemble, no disassemble, Johnny Five. All right, uh, so yeah, that puts that to bed. So look, Ronald Ellis is coming at a. Uh, Look, he's been a journeyman in the past, but I think he's putting it together now. He's on a nice little streak. He's a little bit of a late bloomer at 31. I do expect him to put up a good fight here. We'll see what happens. But this is more about Benavidez's future. Uh, look, just a final thing on, on his hope of getting Canelo one day. You know, he is a Mexican-American star, Benavidez, native of Phoenix, but, you know, he fights that Mexican style that the people love. Canelo knows, knows, he knows, right? Canelo knows what makes good business. It would be interesting if that if they would tangle down the road. Also, uh, Benavidez using names like Edward Berlanga, Luke, who is the, of course, unbeaten uh, first-round knockout sh- uh, streak maven there from top rank at Super Isn't it, is it Berlanga? So, you know, you say bang, I say bong, right? I mean, you know, you say... Uh, you know, you say Ronaldo. Wait, so wait, Berlanga say... wants to fight Benavides? No, Benavides wants to fight him. Yeah, well, Berlanga has said, Luke, that he wants everyone as well. I mean, look, in boxing... I know, but he hasn't... Thing... I mean, Benavides, correct me if I'm wrong, Benavides has fought way better fighters than Berlanga has. Yes, Berlanga has just appeared. He's just yes. he's just making his name, but... Uh... Uh, so I would... I, I, you know, I, we know Mexican versus Puerto Rican rivalries are some of the biggest ones you can get in boxing but that one's not quite ready for prime time yet you gotta let that one you gotta let that one marinate in the uh the plastic bag in the fridge for a little while and take it out we'll put it on the grill a little bit in later and that, that little that bag with the with the boiled egg with all the juices in it this this yeah yucky all right. all right hey let's keep the train rolling a big weekend for combat sports as we mentioned off the top and most of you uh MMA fans are like, bro, what about Leon Edwards? Well, how about him right now? Saturday's UFC fight night main event is an interesting one. Leon Edwards and his eight-fight win streak finally getting back into the cage. The welterweight contender, multiple cancellations with Hamzat Chemaev, multiple times sitting around saying, can I get a fight here? What are we doing? What's happening? Well, he's going to get a late replacement, and it's Bilal Muhammad, who just one month ago had a high-octane decision win over Diego Lima. Luke, this is a very interesting test here. It's certainly a step back rankings-wise for Edwards, but given everything, all the problems he's had, including kind of being the odd man out in the title picture, maybe due to lack of marketing, he got punched backstage by Mazo. I mean, there's a lot that's happened since he has been an active guy. What are your expectations stylistically for this fight on Saturday? You know, it's funny. Uh, statistically, which I know is not, not quite what you're asking, but sometimes it can be a helpful guide. Statistically, they're actually pretty similar kind of fighters. Um, there are some very, very important key structural differences to their game, but the stats kind of show that they tend to fight in similar kind of ways. I mean, here's what's kind of interesting about this. We'll go through the stats a little bit later, but for the moment, to answer your question, BC, you know what's kind of funny to me is like this fight is actually, I like this fight actually a lot better than the Kamzat fight, which is to say the Kamzat fight was bigger. Is this new guy in the scene, you know, going to be the next big thing or whatever? And then, you know, Leon Edwards obviously was the guy who had his own stories related to uh, these moments and having them delayed due to COVID. And so that was a bigger fight in that sense. But I actually like this fight for both fighters a little bit better. 
Leon Edwards' best win is still better than Bilal Muhammad's best win, and Leon hasn't fought in two years, right? I would still say that the Dos Anjos win is better than anything Bilal has, but he's been off two years. Plus, that Dos Anjos win, while better than what Bilal has, Bilal is clearly putting together momentum. He is clearly rounding a corner, technically. He is clearly coming together as a much better talent than when you may have been introduced to him as when he first started in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. I think both guys... Um, like to work off holding position. Both guys like to dictate how one position moves to the next and to be the one sort of in charge of that operation. They tend to have different positions that they look for. But BC, listen to these numbers. These are just really strange. They're, they're reached not too far apart, 74 for Edwards, 72 for Bilal. Average fight time, they're both close to 15 minutes. Um, strikes landed per minute for Edwards, 2.53. Strikes absorbed, 2.05. So he has a positive... Differential, but barely, and fairly low output. It's below three. That's a little unusual. Bilal, pretty similar, 4.86 to 4.03. So he just does a lot more, but it's the same kind of proportionality uh, in their games. How about takedown accuracy, 31% to 28%. How about takedown defense, 70 to 84, 84 belonging to Bilal Muhammad. Submission average per 15 minutes, 0.4 to 0.2. They're not really that different statistically. The difference, I think, BC, and what it's going to come down to is some of those striking numbers tell the story. I think Edwards is going to want to control position. He's going to want to have a little bit less than sustained offense. Bring the fight, slow it down a little bit. Get the back, put a hook in, get a takedown, be on top and half guard. Um, and if Bilal is at range, make him really think before entering. I think for Bilal, it's the exact opposite. You're going to want to turn the heat up on this guy. Make him make a mistake. Make him feel the weight away from the, t uh, the, 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 the ring rust, the cage rust that he's had for about two years. It should be very, very competitive and very, very interesting. Yeah, I like this fight a lot. Remember the name Bilal Muhammad here. Love the dark sunglasses look. Also love the fact that we don't consider him yet in this class of fighter, but this is his opportunity to enter that class. He has won eight of nine, Luke, with the only loss, a tough decision loss to Jeff Neal two years ago. Uh, to your point, no, he doesn't have a win on his resume at the level of an RDA. But he's got some pretty solid ones, and he's made the right types of uh, slow pattern growth and evolution. And then, you know, up to that point against Diego Lima just a month ago, showing high volume Luke, showing very defined uh, Jurassic back, not necessarily in the Heinish mold, but as you would say, this guy's yoked up a little bit here, Bilal. He seems ready. He's going to be fresh off that training camp. He didn't take a ton of damage in that fight. But there's a lot at stake for Leon Edwards. So let's specifically get into that. Luke, uh, I'll tell you, there's a lot of pressure on him to uh, make sure the layoff does nothing and look great because he has had a little bit of a disadvantage in this larger title conversation with more celebrity names like a Covington, Masvidal, Usman, and him just trying his best to, to raise his hand and get remembered. One thing he has going for him now is is what Dana White told BT Sport this week when asked about Edwards' chances for a title shot with a win on, on Saturday. He said, 100%, he's next. So, Luke, is there a scenario in your mind? Because you're the one who tells us, look, Dana White might be a great guy. But can you trust everything he says, Luke? Can you really trust everything that man yeah. says? Do you, what do if you believe it's 100%? Because I if, sure Well, I want to ask you this. I sure don't. So what if... Leon Edwards wins, and what if he even wins convincingly, Luke? But what if it ain't exciting at all? Could he fall out of a title opportunity? How much pressure is there on the Jamaican-born striker here to really change the way we look at him in one night? 
Uh, yeah, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that it's not only not 100%, it's probably significantly less. Now, is Dana... Keep, look, Dana would be right to keep his options open. You know, like, hey, uh, if he has a good performance, certainly we'll entertain it. But, you know, we need to see what happens on Saturday night. Is that the worst argument in the world? You could say, oh, well, he deserves it. But the guy's been out for two years. Does he deserve it over a win over Bilal Muhammad? I mean, it's at least debatable, right? If this was a win over somebody else, like a Wonder Boy or something like that, well, then I would say then there's absolutely zero doubt whatsoever. But folks, you got to remember, Kamaru is the champion. He's already beaten Leon what is Leon going to do to earn a rematch? If, if it's not convincing against the guy ranked outside the top 10, you know, the idea that this is some automatic thing to me seems, you know, um, not right. Plus, on top of that, Dana White just says things, you know, and he could change his mind any moment. So uh, I would say that Leon Edwards has a good chance here to get a win. He's got a decent chance, maybe to get a title shot, and that's a lot better of a position than he would be in before. But to defend Dana White a little bit, yes, I don't believe him for two seconds when he says it's 100%, but to defend him, it shouldn't be 100%. Some of this should be a little contingent, I think. Yeah, Leon Edwards is 10-2 and two overall, Luke, in the UFC, but he has seven fights gone to the decision that he's won. So, Dude, his, fights, spe- his fights, let me real quickly say this. You know, one of the things that distinguishes him from Bilal Muhammad, I've talked about this, Leon Edwards is kind of like a fighter of the future or the emerging present, I should say, BC. Because what he likes to do is he likes to have one hook in on the back, um, 50-50, or even if he has double unders, he's not really using them for, you know, exactly what the express purpose is in terms of takedown and advancing the fight meta. Um, He'll have, you know, from half guard and he'll stay there. He does a lot of kind of half positions where it doesn't require full mastery, right? He doesn't go to mount. He might go to the back a little bit. Um, but the whole point of it is is that it allows him to win in a kind of controlled position without overextending himself or without requiring full, complete mastery of every single position. It's actually a very effective, if somewhat boring, strategy. So the idea to me that he either will be or should be a lock on Saturday, a little bit debatable. Yeah, uh, Edwards has not had a finish, Luke, since 2018 when he stopped Peter Sobata, which reminds me of uh, Frank Sabaka from the uh, the docks near in Baltimore at season two of The Wire, Luke, which, you know, oh, by the way, is the best season of The Wire. Yes, you heard that right here. Season two? Better than season four, okay? The Greek? Season two? Yeah, the Sabakas, Lenny. I mean, come on. How about uh, Lenny's cousin's live-in girlfriend, Luke? You- I'm just oh. thinking of the uh, re-up gang line. Uh, we the wire season two bitches back to the docks. And that's not like a white guy take because that's a white guy season. That's a fantastic season, Luke. I think it's right yep. up there with, with season three as in the running for best. Four getting a little over. I'm sorry, getting a little overrated now that everyone's saying it's the best thing that ever happened in the history of life. All right. Just my take right there. Uh, uh, Luke, this card, though. And, I mean, we're fresh off one of the deepest cards in modern history a week ago, 259, whether it played out that way or not. Is the rest of this card moving you? Um, A little bit. I like the return of Angela Hill. Um, always, I, I think she has turned into a so, uh, something of a... She has really matured, and she leans into her personality. She doesn't hide from it. She likes to share it. She's funny. She's smart. She's gregarious. And she's pretty good. Now, she's had a couple of close calls that didn't go her way. It's time to really right the ship. I think this is what that opportunity presents. Dan Ige versus Gavin Tucker is not happening. Yes. It was supposed to be Ryan Hall, but 
Gavin Tucker is a you know a preeminent talent out of Canada, and Dan Ige is another one of those little engines that could and has become something quite special as a consequence. It's the return of Misha Serkinov. I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, and there's a couple other ones on here that are you know decent. Uh, Hani Yaya's back. Take your pick. Yeah, I like the Dan Ige fight. I think he's uh, he had a little season there of opportunistic uh, taking advantage where we were like, man, this guy's kind of a contender. He's kind of there. And then the tough loss to Calvin Cater. Now he's got to bounce back and, and prove once again, Luke. And uh, Gavin Tucker, he's, he's on a good streak, Luke. He's on a good run right here. A lot so, of tattoos, uh, that Gavin Tucker. Yes, yes, a lot of, a lot of tattoos. Uh, hopefully he will show up one day in our not-to-be-named-or-created segment yet, Luke, okay? <laughs> Uh, your boy Eric Anders as well, Luke. I, I always pop for that, right? Why didn't you respond to that Jetsons tattoo I sent you yesterday? Luke, you do send me a lot of nonsense. I send you strategical <laughs> thought process of the future of MK's expansion and how we take over not only the world, but the the you know the sensibilities of each one of our listeners, Luke. And you're just like, uh, barf, big booty Latinas. <laughs> Listen, that's true generally, but yesterday, the guy who did that tattoo, do you remember like about a year ago, or maybe it was a little bit longer, sometime around that, there was that famous or at least viral photo of someone who got a Conor McGregor tattoo, and it was like exceptionally good, it was like a portrait tattoo, do you remember that? Yes. So the guy who did that tattooed the Jetsons on someone's scalp, Uh, why you would get that, I don't have any clue but he got one and it was actually like an extremely good tattoo as you can imagine wouldn't want it but it was very good so i sent it to bc just no sold it just nothing and i'm like bc this is a perfect tattoo for you and he was like look i'm more focused respond to that on on global domination okay i'm more focused it's it's getting it's getting serious time luke okay this show has been fun right a little little, little, little tongue-in-cheek oh it's fun oh we got some dick jokes hey they did a documentary let's take over the world motherfucker yeah, okay, let's go. I've been waiting for you to say that for a year and a half. <laughs> yeah, right? It's like Cruel Intentions. You can put it anywhere, Luke, okay? Let's put it there. Let's do this, all right? All right. Woo! All right, let's get through that awkwardness. Luke, let's keep the train moving here, MMA-style. Israel Adesanya, your middleweight champion, fresh off the light heavyweight title, lost to Jan Blahowitz. His coach, the great Eugene Berriman of City Kickboxing, says Darren Till is the front runner, Luke. For the next title shot. Uh, the quote Berriman said was, there's no Marvin Vittori, there's no Paulo Costa, there's Darren Till. Darren Till needs a win, and Robert Whitaker, because he's one of our brethren, he's one of our brothers, he's a Kiwi, so there's two fights, and then what do we do? Jan wins a couple, we win a couple, I don't know. That's just me throwing stuff out there, but you're on the right path. So let me correct Eugene a bit here and, and just kind of spell it out. He's saying, Izzy gets a couple more middleweight defenses, Maybe he gets back in there to a rematch with Jan. He's also saying they think Till can be next. Now, Luke, since this quote came out, you're seeing the rumors, or maybe it's fact. I haven't checked. That isn't Till going to fight Vittori on the next uh, UFC on ABC main event coming up? Yes, it's the main event for the card April 10th, uh, UFC on ABC 2. So are you okay with that as sort of a potential title eliminator fight for the next shot? Or are you waiting more on the idea of Whitaker and Costa? Who gets next? For Izzy's belt. Well, I have to tell... I mean, listen, I, I will never object to the champion not so much, you know, deciding who he will and won't fight. You don't want that to happen. But the champion, like any other fighter, and maybe in particular the champion, has a right to at least tell the world what their preferences are, to to publicly 
lobby on behalf of what their interests. Every fighter has the opportunity to do that. Every fighter should have the opportunity to do that uh, and then exercise it when they do. I mean, obviously, that's sort of the way things go. But, but I mean to say, listen, when it comes down to it, the champion needs to fight the number one contender. But who ends up being the number one contender can sometimes be a function of how the public decides it, which itself can be a, a, affected by the various lobbying campaigns that go on. So I don't mind that per se. What I do think is kind of interesting, though, BC, is the point that you raise about the scheduling. I got to tell you, folks, I, don't, I haven't looked at the odds, and I don't know what the odds are, but if Marvin Vittori is an underdog to Darren Till, it should not be a significant underdog position. Because that is a very winnable fight for him. And honestly, I got to tell you, if the MMA gods have their way, <laughs> kind of feels like Adesanya Vittori 2 is the fight we might actually get. And on top of that, coming off of the heels of the Blahovich fight, where we saw some issues with takedown defense and open space, Vittori has to love, I don't know if his chances per se, I'm sure he does, but I mean, he has to really be relishing a second shot given what we know now and given what he knows now. Sure. Ask for Darren Till, but I got to tell you, I don't know that that's what's coming down his path. So I don't know if I love this from your boys over there at, at, at City Kickboxing. The idea of like, I get that, well, they've already beaten Vittori, Costa, you know, uh, Whitaker. I mean, we, we kind of want rematches with all three and we may end up getting them. So if the idea is just, hey, we already beat all those other three. We haven't beaten Till yet. Okay, maybe. But Luke, Darren Till's also lost... Three of four, let's not forget. And the win was a split decision against Gastelum. And oh, by the way, I never thought he won the Wonderboy Thompson fight that fast-tracked him to the welterweight title shot to begin with. So is Darren Till becoming like the, uh, you know, in UFC terms here, like the, the, the spoiled son of a rich father? I mean, he just keeps getting opportunities. Why, why would you even pass go right now? Shouldn't Vittori just get it next? Well, if he loses, no. If, if Till wins, I could understand it. I mean, Till's an interesting figure. They are waiting for him to turn the corner after something of a reformation from going to light or going from welterweight to uh, middleweight. And you've seen signs of that. Even in the Whitaker loss, I thought you saw some signs of that. Of course, he's had some other good moments. But, um, you know, he needs to really prove exactly how good he is beyond just the Kelvin Gastelum win, which was a nice win. But at this point, you're like, okay, what, what else do you have? The, beating Vittori to me would be huge for him. In fact, if you beat Vittori, you know, I don't know that that puts him in a better position than Whitaker, but it puts him in at least the position that I've never fought Adesanya before. It's another striker. He's kind of a big guy, even for the weight class, even if he came up from 170. Yeah, it's like it's a fresh matchup. It's interesting. Fine. Like, again, dude, I don't really have any issue with the idea of it or even the lobbying campaign. What I just find hilarious is they're like, oh, we beat Vittori. Dude, this is not the Vittori you beat, which is not to say that they can't beat Vittori again. I would favor Adesanya, in fact, to beat Vittori again. But I'd be watching that one a lot closer than I watched the first time, man. There's just no way to look at Marvin Vittori and say that the 23-year-old who came to the UFC or even the guy who fought Adesanya, that was Adesanya's second UFC fight. That's the same guy? No, it's not. It's a completely different task. And so... I would be, frankly, much more interested in seeing that, and uh, it might just be what we get because he is criminally underrated. Okay, so I think we're establishing that Till doesn't necessarily deserve to be in a number one contender fight. You could go Vittori right now. 
Luke, couldn't you also just go Robert Whitaker right now? What the hell does this guy have to do? He got knocked out and lost his title. He came back and beat Darren Till in a close fight. And then came back and beat Jared Cannonier in a close fight. Like, what does he have to go through Costa now? Why are we not just building toward the rematch of this all oceanic uh, Super Bowl, Luke? Please I- I- enlighten me on promotional malpractice. Go for yeah, it. Uh, didn't they say initially that Whitaker didn't want it? And then Whitaker was like, what? Yeah, I, you know, I never. He, He's not wired like that, Luke. He wants all the smoke, okay? Thank you. Please. Yeah, so I don't understand what that was about from UFC. Got, who knows, you know? I mean, there's just never any way to tell anymore. But, um, by the way, odds makers have Vittori as a slight favorite, and it opened as a complete pick em. Vittori and Till, by the way. Isn't that interesting? I well, Vittori's not... The one thing... Look, Till is technical, right? I mean, he, he, he's, he's credible, Luke. But he does. Does he ever win spectacularly? Does he ever convince thoroughly convince you that he's of that ilk, Luke? He beat Cerrone in his most impressive victory, I think. But beyond that, he's looked very good in moments. Like you remember, he dropped Jorge Masvidal, right? Folks forget that he put Jorge Masvidal on his rear end early in that fight. He just succumbed in the end. So like, it's like he's always shown real good flashes, and he's very strong early. He's got a hilarious personality. He's a oh, dynamic he's guy. This ain't a this ain't a, a you know a hit piece for per se on on him the personality him the I mean there's there's parts of his game I love he's a competitor he's look look I love the man I'd room with him okay yeah I'd it's get just the point your point you're raising at, at 185 BC and I think it's right it's like there's not a lights out case for Darren Till you know beating Vittori obviously puts him pretty far along because uh, it's a fresh matchup and that's a that's a great win. But even then, Whitaker has done a lot of rebounding. And your point is, hello, over Darren Till. Shouldn't that matter? Yes, that should matter. I just think the UFC is trying to say, if we don't have to go right back to it uh, and maybe ruin things for Whitaker. Because here was the thing I think they were trying to do. I think they wanted Adesanya to go up. And I know he was like, I was going to go back down to 185 no matter what. But if he had won that dude, who knows what would have happened. All bets would have been off and what's going to happen with John Jones and blah, blah, blah. They might have thought there would have been a way to get Whitaker back in there. But, you know, now it's just not really a, a it's, it's going to be harder to do. Well, let's close on Adesanya talking about the super fights you mentioned. Because Eugene Behrman did sort of whisper in that quote of saying, you know, maybe we get a couple wins and we get back to a Jan rematch. And I, I know that Izzy's the type of competitor, Luke, that he's probably thinking, look, I was pretty damn close on a lot of people's cards the first time around. I didn't get finished. Maybe I will sort of, uh, you know, beat who I have to be that middleweight and get back there. But should we be thinking more of Izzy moving up for super fights now that it seems like the one with him and John Jones just doesn't make a ton of sense? Or should we be thinking down? Why is nobody talking about the idea? Because now we know that Habib and Usman won't fight. What about Usman moving up and fighting Adesanya, which is something he, Kamaru, has whispered, Luke. Um, There's a man on this show with a salt and pepper beard who told me off the record that he really likes Usman's chances if this super fight ever came together. Luke, you're that man I'm talking about. Well, if it was off the record, why did you share? I mean, it wasn't off the record, but if it was off the record, you're not supposed to share that. But okay. Well, Luke, we were under the influence of uh, of uh, influencers, Luke, and um, you know, I <laughs> I I keep a log rolling up here of everything you've ever told me, and I'm not afraid to share it ever. All right, okay? well, that's great. But uh, I, no, if you actually listen to what Kamaru has said. Going up to 185, yes, that might be on his radar. Fighting Adesanya is not. That is not on his radar. Plus, welterweight's at an interesting time, but it's not quite cleaned out. There are some names 
that he could go after there. Obviously, the Covington rematch is kind of interesting, um, given the controversy of the last one. And I don't know if it's a rebirth of Covington, but he's certainly got back on the winning ways. Anyway, he's got some interesting fights at one one seventy. So I would actually, I would actually like to see Kamar Usman move up if this continues. I just don't know if I would want to see it right now. But like, do I like his chances against? Not just Adesanya, a lot of those 185ers. Eh, I kind of do, actually. I kind of think uh, he might he might be a, a force to be reckoned with, uh, uh, even up 15 pounds. Wow, you were much more influential under the influence, Luke. But uh, I will say that one thing Adesanya and Usman do have in common, Luke Thomas, is that we're talking about a lot of rematches for their future fights. So let's say in the next year, Izzy rematches and wins against... Vittori and Whitaker. You know, no saying he would, right? Those are tough fights. And let's say uh, Usman does the same against uh, Covington and Masvidal. You know, unless unless Izzy's going back up for Jan or whoever's wearing the belt at that time, that's a fight to make, Luke. And that's when this conversation might resurface along with you saying, you know what? I really like Usman's chances of out-wrestling that man. Yeah, well, if we get to that point, Certainly, we can have that debate, but I tend to think it's actually a lot more unlikely. Um, I don't. I don't think that's ever going to materialize. But we'll see. All right, all right, Luke, you are never off the record with me ever. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> all right, Luke, let's go to your favorite topic: Fridays with BC. Anything can happen, so he's going to slide this in. Let's get all fired up and ready for April seventeenth when YouTuber Jake Paul takes on former UFC fighter Ben Askren. I know you don't care, Luke, but there are some topics in this topic to get topical about. First, well, there, Manich- is, that, is that true? I mean, well, to be clear, the producers snuck this topic in. Brian kind of wanted to talk about it, but not really. Knowing full well, I don't give a fuck about this fight, but all right, proceed. Thank you, thank you right, producers in first- BC. There was a lot of talk a week ago about this footage that that Ben Askren put out on the internet of him sparring and whether it was sincere, whether this was a a, a close up look at how bad his striking actually is. Minich, do we have this? Can we can we look at this thing? Luke, I want you to look at the technique and tell me if this man's is this on the up and up this video? So far, I don't see anything. Um, okay, here we go. Yikes. Oh, he's looking to... Um, he's going to wrestle him. You know, this is very similar of that Ronda Rousey training boxing video. Remember, Luke, when she was just like... Yeah, but he's going to he's gonna wrestle him. That's what, oh, that's look, what I... A, it, it's a boxing match. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But you can look. See how the left hand is posted? He looks. I mean, I don't. Again, first of all, there's an open question about how representative this footage is, number one. Number two, to the extent that it is at all representative, but it would make sense. You see him using his forearm there in his hand. He's using it constantly as sort of a brace, a frame. So he's got his left hand framed, and then he's using the right to do more of the damage. Uh, he's going to use that right there as a perfect example to set up shots. He's also going to use it, I guarantee, to wrap the head and hang on the guy, wrap the arm and hang on the guy, push him, pull him, turn him, off-balance him, underhook him. You're like, oh, it's a boxing match. You can't wrestle. You can wrestle in a boxing match. You just have to wrestle within the rules. So you're limited in what you can do, but you're not eliminated from doing certain things, which a guy like Ben Askren, to the extent he can pull it off, would at least be 
in theory, well-situated to do. He is the kind of guy, as a former freestyle Olympian, who tends to know what are some ways you could hang on a guy. Um, because I just think outright boxing, if you're had a hip replacement, I, you know, I guess we will see. But if I that mean, footage if, is if, at all fair, he's gonna he's gonna wrestle him a little bit. If that footage is legit and that's his ability level, then he's gonna muck this up and make this a gross fight, Luke. But if that is his actual boxing ability, I don't know, Luke. He he, he may not win this. He may get knocked out by a YouTuber, Luke. Seriously, you I, think I've said it any- before. I've said it before, dude. Nobody knows what's going to happen here. Which again, if you like this kind of thing. That's part of the sales intrigue. It's like, people have asked me, can Jake Paul win? I'm like, I have no idea, which is another way of saying it. Yeah, it seems possible. Maybe maybe even likely. I don't know. But to me, it's like, you're signing up to watch two guys not good at a thing do a thing. And the only way to like that is that secondary thing they do would have to be entertaining, which it won't be. Or you'd have to like the individual people in play. And, you know, I have uh, neither... I'm agnostic about either of them. Uh, so for me, I don't understand what the appeal is, but you know, there are people who have been in car accidents and have brain damage. They, send, they tend to love this kind of thing. Wow, wow. All right, well, there's a lot of celebrities out there, Luke, who are very, very interested in this fight. In fact, Manish, can we roll some footage here? <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Five people sent me this in Look at like him mouth the breathing. past five seconds. Let's be honest. Jake Paul is in a fucking box. Damn man, he's a great fighter. He be working hard. I watch him. Let's I go, watch Mike. Him. Mike got my back. Oh, this is gonna be an awesome. MMA. Gonna be an interesting test. Yeah, but it's him, different though. You're saying he can fight? Yes. Yeah. He got hands. I'll bet a million dollars that Yo. he loses this fucking fight. Oh! Oh! Let's fucking go! That shit, baby, go crazy! That shit! Oh yeah! Well, Luke, uh, to put that into proper context for anyone that still cares, uh, Dana was on the Hot Boxing Podcast with Mike Tyson. Zab Judah, former boxer, was there. Dana's willing to bet a million. Jake Paul says let's double it. And then, Manish, do we have Snoop Dogg or are we just going to reference it? Oh, we got Snoop Dogg. Yeah, I know what? With the new slate at the end you, uh, tomorrow rather than Saturday. You got faith in your boy, right? Going up against my guy, Jake. You say you got a million? You're the CEO of UFC, man. You got more than a million. Put up two. Put up two million and we'll match you. Yeah, I said it. We'll match you. Two million. Come on, Dana. What you waiting on? Your money good. Yeah, I got Jake. Fight night. That's my guy. That's my dog in the fight. Two million. Holler at me. Holler at Luke, this is getting a little saucy right here. So let me tell you what you should focus on here. Did you see Snoop, what he said without really saying? Basically, Dana, you've been keeping money from the fighters for years. You got more than a million, right? Isn't that what he's been saying? Isn't it sad what Snoop Dogg has turned into? Isn't that sad? Snoop Dogg used to be the kind of like irreverent, you know, uh, cultural figure, sort of at the bleeding edge of cool. And now he's betting other sports owners on YouTube fights. Jesus Christ. So, Luke, what he's saying is what a lot of us are saying. He's in Jake Paul's corner. That's his guy, right? Snoop will be part of this broadcast. He's an investor, all that. Luke, I think it's a bad, real bad bet for Dana. Real bad bet. I mean, he's got the money to play. I think it's real bad of us to talk about it. You're like, you literally 10 minutes ago, like, let's take this into the motherfucking stratosphere. Oh, by the way, 
I want to talk about Jake Paul, who may or may not even be part of the human race. He might be some kind of Neanderthal holdover. Let's 23 and me this motherfucker just to make sure. But no, no, either way, a... that's that's what I want to do. It's like, well, no, he's not. He's not, uh, you know, part of the lizard people, Luke. Those are the, uh, you know, the, the the Federal Reserve and the European banks. But that's another podcast for another time, Luke. Um, so are you willing to make any kind of bet with me on this? Luke, I bet you'll no. be entertained. Number no. one. Who do you like right now? Who are you leaning, Luke? Get with your fellow high rollers and take a stand. While y'all are watching that stupid-ass fight, uh, I will be reading Michael Tomasello's Becoming Human, a theory of ontogeny. You know, something useful with my life. You just aged 15 to 20 years by answering that question. Yes. Well, you know, listen. I want to read Chapter 8 about pro-sociality. Sociality. There you go. That's what I'm going to do. It's going to be great. Yeah, I don't give a fuck about this fight. I mean, when I tell you I don't give a fuck about this fight, dude, like, I'm not, like, I'm not, it's not a bit. It's not like, oh, I I want you all to be mad at me like I'm the old man. If y'all want to watch it, by all means, go watch it. There's a market for it. And by the way, I should be pointing out, I'm not even sure that this whole betting thing is not fugazi as shit. It looks a little bit staged to me. And it might set up, you know, Jake Paul getting even bigger opportunities if and when he wins. These are all inevitabilities of life. That Jake Paul and Snoop Dogg, who both have a financial, you know, stake in this thing, would somehow conjure up a, a, you know, betting on themselves to lose so that they could get a big money rematch? Is that what you're implying here, Luke? No, I'm implying that Dana offering up the million dollars did not feel 100% in the moment. Something about that felt a little bit off. Uh, I don't know that, but, you know, it's just sort of a, it just looked a little weird. Uh, but either way, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> how many different, okay, how many different ways can I explain to you? This is not interesting to me. All right. Well, Luke, I hope there is a fight this weekend that does interest you. Okay. Not only David Benavidez is returned Saturday night on Showtime, but DAZN is giving us or us, me, the hardcore boxing <laughs> hey, fan. I'm a DAZN customer jerk. <laughs> Look, this Saturday is one of those. I don't care if you know these guys. You need to watch this fight, Luke. A rematch we've been waiting nine years for. When former pound for pound king and 33-year-old Nicaraguan Rogwin legend Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez brings his WBA title at 115 pounds against fellow regular in the top 10 pound for pound Juan Francisco Estrada and his WBC belt to unify titles at Super Bantamweight. Luke, it's going to go down in front of 5,000 fans in Dallas at American Airlines Center. And look, if you're not up on these guys, here's the deal. Uh, A decade ago, Chocolatito was just killing it in the lower weight classes. He went on to win titles in four divisions. And as I mentioned, post Mayweather retirement was legitimately the pound for pound king. This was the only fight during that initial rise, Luke, where he went from grainy internet streams to this fight with Estrada that was, by the way, aired on Wealth TV of all places, to eventually becoming like a HBO darling, a co-main event to, to, to Triple G on a bunch of cards. This was the tough challenge in that fight, in that run. It came in 2012. Chocolatito was knocking everyone out until he ran into... El Gallo, Juan Francisco Estrada, who put on a hellacious pace. And, Luke, they had a unanimous decision win for Gonzalez that was a thriller. Boxing fans going nuts. And for the past nine years, we've been saying, when are we going to see this again? Luke, it did not look likely in 2017 when Chocolatito had those two fights with Srisa Getsorungvisai. 
God, uh, they went to a bloody thriller in the first one in which the TIE fighter won a close decision and then saw Rung Vasai sent Chocolatito to hell via vicious knockout in their rematch. It looked like Chaco's career was done, but Luke, you saw his resurgence in 2020. He knocked out Calify. He won back a title in this weight class. He's 33, which, by the way, is pretty damn old when you're talking about these minimum-ish weight classes. Uh, what are your thoughts heading into this one? Estrada... The, the slight betting favorite, but this has all the makings, Luke, to be a freaking masterpiece. Well, I don't know why you dismiss. I, I am always down on the bureaucracy and infrastructure, so to speak, of boxing. Not about boxing itself. And occasionally, BC, sometimes you get some good stuff, even with the bureaucracy, this being one of them, the Estrada and Gonzalez rematch. Um, to get a better sense of things, because you're right. I mean, I know who Chocolatito is, but I don't know much outside of this rivalry I don't know much about Estrada, candidly. Again, I, I have some work to do to catch up. So I went to badlefthook.com. Shouts to those folks who do a good site over there. And I was sort of looking at some of their previews. And interestingly enough, I was looking at uh, some fan polls that they do. And so they asked who was going to win in the Estrada Chocolatito rematch. 51% to 49%. A difference of just uh, a handful of votes, really. Again, this is not scientific, but I think it's indicative of the kind of thing you're talking about. They've got Estrada at 51 BC, Gonzalez at 49. So they technically think that Estrada will do the better work here. But the interesting part is it's very, 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 very close. And as we know from your Burchelt and who was the other one, Valdez recommendation, Valdez. among some other ones. Uh, and by the way, hello, we have the re the body of work from these two as well. This is one certainly to get excited about. The, you know, Again, I, I, I don't have much to add beyond what you did other than I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, and the thing that I did pick up on on some of the analysis here, BC, was that both guys, particularly Chocolatito, were thought to have uh, declined in recent years. But both in the last four fights or so have had good resurgences to the point where you're like, okay, well, they're definitely not what they once were. But the idea that they're washed or done is actually pretty premature, that they do have yes. a lot of life left. And they've shown that against credible opposition. And so for those reasons... Like the other game, like the previous recommendation you made, I'm absolutely going to be taking time to watch this. Yeah, so Estrada's the fresher fighter, 30 years old from Mexico. He puts on the big pace, Luke. He goes to the body, gets in your face. He is a, a just a you know stereotypical but beautiful Mexican action fighter. His only losses in the last decade, Luke, was the close decision loss to Gonzalez, and he split a pair of fight of the year all action wars with the guy I mentioned from Thailand, Sri Saket Sor Rung Vasai. Luke, these three By the way, he fighters, has a win. Correct me if I'm wrong, the Thai fighter, he has a win over both of these guys. Yeah, they split. I just said Estrada and him split fights in no, the no, past no, no. few years. But I'm saying he has a win over Gonzalez as well. Yes, yes, you yes. beat him twice. So these three have fought each other five times, Luke. All five have been like thrillers right just absolute thrillers so uh this one is one is just special because we didn't see it coming um so chocolatito at this point luke he's still a huge puncher but he's in his fourth division that he's won a title in so his power has not had the same effect and he's had to take more damage in this division which you saw against the bigger fighter in those two fights with sorung Vasai. but luke his resurgence he's won four in a row since those two losses and in his resurgence he's relying on his technique chocolatito is one of 
of the most beautiful fighters we have ever seen. His ability, Luke, he models his game after his mentor from Nicaragua, Alexis Arguello. The way he pivots and throws beautiful combinations and uppercuts. I mean, it is just breathtaking. So it's going to be that craft and power against a guy in Estrada who does not take a step back and looks to outwork you. Uh, it's going to be a thriller. I think you have to favor Estrada as the fresher fighter. But I'll tell you this, Luke. There were almost tears in the eyes of the boxing hardcores when Chocolatito beat Cal Yafai last year to, to kind of come back and win a title and remind us of his greatness. 33 might not sound old, but at 115 pounds, it's ancient, right? It's old as balls. Mm. Um, if he can come back and add another cherry on top. I mean, you, the, people b are beloved this guy for a reason. He's a class act in, in Chocolatito, and this is just great that he's giving us this one more final chapter here. A uh, little side note, DeZone also has a card on Friday tonight, which, oh, by the way, Srisaket Sorongvasai is in the main event of that one, so they're mm -hmm. certainly looking to set up the winner of Chocolatito Estrada 2 against if Sorung Visai wins on, on Friday, which would be some great freaking theater either way. It's going to be a trilogy, and it's going to be awesome. So uh, love what the little guys can give us just the same. Does, let me ask you a question. Does Chocolatito pull Nicaraguan fans? I mean, I, 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 when I ask this, understand what I'm saying. I'm sure the answer is to some degree, of course, yes. But, like, is it a thing that he's known for stateside? Central American yeah, I mean, fans he, generally. Yeah, dude, he's a he's a god in in that in that part. Yes, he's a he's an absolute. But they travel like, to see him. No, that's not a traveling. Uh, you know, it's a poor nation. They're not. That's not. I a, understand. You know, I, I mean, I meant the diaspora here. No, that's not a traveling group. We yeah. you don't see large Nicaraguan boxing flags at fights, right? But uh, it's a very proud you, group. Luke, the exception for that was here in D.C. True story. I remember one time it was a World Cup qualifier, and they had uh, Honduras. No, it wasn't Nicaragua. It was Honduras versus El Salvador. But, bro, there must have been 20,000 of each of those kinds of people yes. uh, here. They, they played at RFK, which can hold a lot. It was crazy. Yes. It was a cool atmosphere. I, in, uh, ahead of the 94 World Cup, Luke, which, as you remember, was on U.S. soil, I went to the Yale Bowl in New Haven, Connecticut, and saw some uh, qualifying matches and uh, with different countries. Luke, the, it was uh, smoke bombs, like, shit being thrown the whole i mean it was a you were not in new haven connecticut anymore luke it was soccer was serious that day your your you got your football guys yeah that was a that was that was intense luke that was intense was i gotta tell you since you're into conspiracy theories we don't have time for it now but luke, uh, we got all the, the time in the world bc hosts on fridays bro there's no rules okay <laughs> so there's a conspiracy theory happening now in international soccer uh basically one team didn't like the way they were covered by um, BN Sport. And uh, so BN Sport, for that, apologized. If you looked at the clock, it was 1905. So, you know, 7.05 at either in the morning, no, at night, excuse me. Obviously, that's how it, how it would be 19. And that 1905 is the year of the founding of the country of their enemies. So now they think that BN Sport apologized in that way on purpose to send them an fu and so now there's a big to do about it all right interesting they might lose the whole they might yeah it's uh, it's with these uh, turkish clubs galatasaray and um no so it wasn't the founding of the country it was the founding of the team galatasaray was founded i think in 1905 and then Fenerbahce, and uh it was a front page new york times story um 
because of the way it went. Here's how it worked. The team objected to the broadcasting of a negative chant about the club. Bean's apology made matters worse. The apology was issued at 1905, according to the 24-hour clock. And 1905 was the founding of the year of its greatest rival, Galatasaray. So to the club, even the apology served as confirmation of the network's agenda. I was in a part of Istanbul, the Galata part, near the Galata Tower, when they played in the Champions League in whatever year that was in 2014, and or maybe it was maybe it was Europa League, but either way, it was why dude. I saw two dudes in Turkey, well, one guy chasing another one anyway, with a donor kebab sword when one of these teams played their rival, the Fenerbahce team. Is that not fucking insane? Yeah, that's 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 pretty insane. Look, the best comeback, right? So it's on the Turkish players to come back now to make a. They should probably uh, maybe get a video editor, make a four minute. Hit video, right? Yeah, they yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that would be golly. That's I do, that's so funny. Yeah, I yeah. They might, but now what? What it might do is it might torpedo the lucrative soccer deal between television networks to get the rights to air this uh, this league and these teams. And so it it is. Uh, it's a conspiracy theories run the world. VC, you're telling me just... soccer is as corrupt as boxing, Luke? No shit. <laughs> Right? Did it, yeah, does Hunter like still that. have the World Cup, Luke? Does your your boys in Doha still get in the World Cup? Dude, we're not even talking about this. There were there were people who were like, "Oh, is um, uh, are the Olympics going to boycott China? I, I guess they have the next Winter Olympics, twenty twenty two, whatever it is, uh, over you know what's happening with the Uyghur Muslims." And it's like, are you out of your mind? The IOC announced today they were going to buy vaccines from China to give to Olympians. There is no fucking way they're going to boycott that, nor is anybody else. So, yeah, there you go. Dr. Fauci, can we be uh, fully vaccinated as a com- country by May 1st, as the president has said? Did you see what the news was that just came out of Michigan? They're going to open it up to everyone 18 and over on April 5th in the state of Michigan. Wow. So, wow. dude, I'm pretty – my, my, let's see. So, in my house, my mother-in-law got one. My dad's gotten both of his. And my brother-in-law, who has asthma, just qualified, so he's going to get his next week. It's happening, bro. It's happening. The pieces of the puzzle, they're coming together. I'm feeling good about 2021, dude. You're feeling good about you and I covering a fight in person? Like yes. at a full I think, I think this year we will cover a fight in person. And not, by the way, not, it counts. Mohegan Sun counts. But I mean an arena outside of that, right? Um, so, yes, I think we will. Luke, if you were single and more sexually active and looking to stay safe, could you get the? Uh, can you ask for the immunization right in the old? Uh, could you just like get it right, right at the just the tip, right, just the tip segment every Friday? Put it just on th- the. Tip, I mean, right? I think COVID might be sexually transmissible. I don't know that that's its defining feature. Okay. Are you asking about another disease? I was good. I was just wondering if the if you know our MK website, there's a market for uh, a COVID dental dams by any chance. You know? I tell you this. This is a true story. I had a friend of mine who uh, he had to get his life together. He was actually very smart and made a lot of money when we lived in New York City, but he was a, he was a, he was a disaster. He would, uh, he would never protect himself when he would engage in the company of sex, sexual activity with his, with his women friends. And then he would constantly get <laughs> STDs. This is true. But his dad was a doctor, uh, I think a you know, sort of general practitioner. And then he would call up his dad and be like, Dad, I got the clap again. And his dad would prescribe him medication to get over <laughs> And, oh and he just God. did this for years, for years. Dude, your dad would leave you rotting with chlamydia <laughs> in a hole in the ground, Luke, okay? <laughs> right. uh, that's exactly what he would do. And yeah. uh, then laugh at me for it. Yeah, yeah, 
Absolutely. All right, uh, Luke, I don't know if you saw Wednesday night's uh, piece of business that Showtime had a showbox card. I watched the, the whole thing. Sun. I live tweeted it. It was fucking great. Check out 21-year-old Brandon Lee. He's a 140-pound prospect. He's been a regular of Showbox in the main event against Samuel Tia. Luke, did you see him Tia him up there with that shot? And the finish is spectacular. And, dude, and understand something about uh, Tia. He had not been dropped ever, ever in 20 professional fights. Boom. And then he times oh. the right. BC, if you go back and you watch the fight, you see him timing that right-hand counter from the second Ooh. round on. So this is the third round here. He had it locked in. He just didn't get it to land quite as beautifully as this one. But he he found that early. Dude, Brandon Lee not only hits really hard, quite obviously, but he had good adjustments. He got he got hit a little bit with a counter left hook um, from Tia, a little bit more than my liking. So he's not quite ready for prime time just yet. But you can see he's putting the pieces of his game together, BC. He is going to be something special if he keeps going. Yeah. He's from uh, Southern California. He's got a marketable look and personality and power. He does have to sort of, you know, refine his craft more. But he's fought better competition than you might expect in terms of, like, like he's moving at a smart, intelligent pace. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what his ceiling ends up being. For now, Luke, he does make for good TV. So, well done there on Showbox. That is a knockout of the year contender. By the right way, the dude before shot. this, I forget his name. He was a, uh, a, a black kid out of Maryland, out of... Um, I think uh, Waldorf, Maryland. Uh, I think his last name was White. I, I, I could be wrong about that. It was the fight before this one. I apologize for not getting the details right. But he looks sharp as shit, too, man. He fought a guy Are named... Are you talking uh, about um, Jeremy Hill against Stephen Ortiz or Jordan White against Missio Lopez? Missio Lopez was the other guy, but Jordan White. Dude, Jordan White looked good in that fight. It was only an eight-rounder. Again, still quite early into his career before I want to recommend him to fans. But uh, that is definitely someone I'm going to keep my eye on. He had the total package, this guy. So uh, he also looked awesome. I can't wait to see more from him. Yeah, yeah, very. Uh, all right. Uh, Luke, we have a couple more segments for you today. We want to keep it rolling. But one thing to remind you, Luke, do you know what month it is? It's March. Yeah, there's a really big thing in sports that happens every March, Luke. It has affixed our imagination many times. I mean, Luke, where were you when Bryce Drew hit that buzzer beater, right? Yeah, I don't really watch college basketball. I mean, where were you while we were getting high? That's what I want to know, Luke, because I've watched <laughs> I was, a lot I was in the room with you. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, Luke, speaking of March Madness, you can create a pool to compete against friends or fill out your bracket for the chance to win, get this, a Nissan Rogue and a trip to the 2022 Final Four. You can play on the CBS Sports app, or at cbssports.com slash brackets. You can also join our podcast group right here called Morning Combat Brackets and compete against all of us here on the Morning Combat team. So that's what I want you to do. Look, we all love we all love sports of all kind. Head on over to cbssports.com slash brackets or the sports app and uh, get into our group, Morning Combat Brackets. Uh, let's see who wins this, okay? You win this. Whoever wins this, Luke, Let's do something nice for them on this show. Like what? I don't know. Have them on. BC, I haven't watched college basketball willingly in a long time. <laughs> and I, and, I, I, mean, and since- I, I, I relayed this to our superiors, but they, you know, they're all in on this tourney, bro. So I guess we got to be as well. I mean, did I watch ho- college hoops more when the Big East was really the Big East? Yes, Luke. Okay, but if you're by the way, watch what did you make sport- of what did you make of Patrick Ewing getting all bitter? It was not about. I mean, Big East through Georgetown, and then he played in the Garden. But obviously, 
his major work in the garden was with the Knicks, but getting bitter that people in MSG were not sure who he was and were carding him or trying to get ID. Yeah, in pure Luke Thomas fashion, those people should be like uh, Joan of Arc, Luke, and just lit on fire in person. I mean, come on. Seriously? Can I tell you that I find him a little bit off-putting with that? I mean, yeah, the answer is yes. They should know who he is. First of all, he's an enormous Patrick human Ewing, being. Patrick Ewing, bro! Jose, yeah, well, first on. of all, he's an enormous human being. Have you ever seen a real seven-footer in person? These are not people that just show up by accident. They're usually like recruited to do things for other humans. In this particular case, be the coach of Georgetown basketball. So if he comes in like you know, he's this giant man, he's not you know he's probably there for a reason. But more importantly, dude, have you talked to any twenty-year-old or twenty-five-year-old? They don't. I had a. I did this on my radio show. We did like Star Wars trivia with this girl who was like twenty-two. Dude, she didn't know who uh, Harrison Ford was. She never heard of Harrison Ford. Do you think some 25-year-old knucklehead who's working the door in various MSG spots has ever fucking heard of Patrick Ewing? Of course they haven't. It's a little bit crazy for him to assume that they have. All right, I get I get where you're going with that. But, you know, still, I mean, the guy's freaking royalty. Can can, can we have somebody on it. hand on staff just to remind people who he is, please? I mean, come I on. get it. I'm just saying it's like, dude, if no, they don't know who Harrison true, Luke, Ford I- is, you don't have a prayer. No, I've told you too about, you know, my kids are 13 and, and this is a look, I think it's the the fall of traditional cable TV, Luke, in the in the uh I mean, this is what I tell my kids, Luke, because Fortnite is their life, right? Right, Luke? Okay. And I'll get in on the games with them. And you know these video games now, Luke. This is a real boomer conversation I'm about to have. But look, we didn't have shit like this that could keep you there that long at the screen. I mean, I played the balls out of uh uh, in television and Nintendo and Sega Genesis, like everyone else. I mean, I played the balls out of it, right? But look, those games were only fun for so long, right? You you eventually had to go outside because you're you're like, I can't I can't play Marble Madness on Nintendo for 14 hours, right? I can play it for like two, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? But then you get you get these video games. I mean, look, like I, I, I sometimes I question whether I should just let the rest of my life go and just and just rent a run room apartment and just play Fortnite all the time. And I don't even really like it, Luke, but it, it gets you. It gets in your blood, all right? I, I guess so. I've not played Fortnite. It seems to be quite addictive. I'm sure it's fun. I just mean, it's like, do you remember that controversy when Billie Eilish didn't know who, I think it was, was it Van Halen? She didn't know who they were yes, or whatever. Yes. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. I'm like, first of all, Van Halen, you know, yeah, okay, it's it's okay. It's not great. Eddie is amazing, but the rest of the band, whatever. Uh, more to the whoa, point. Whoa, 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 bro, bro. What, what, what the hell did you just say? What, what did you do? <laughs> okay, I partly was trolling to see how long it would take you to get upset. That did not take long. That was a very rapid response, fireman. Uh, but more to the point, it's like, dude, why would she? What on earth would be the cultural influence at the time in which she was coming of age and understanding music that would have pressured her? Dude, Patrick Ewing is not on, I mean, yes, through Georgetown, he is on television to an extent. Obviously, in the local market, he has a very big presence. He's a legend in town, too, so everybody knows. I don't, I'm not against Patrick Ewing. I'm against the idea that people who did cool shit in the 90s expect to be treated the same about it 20, 30 years later. Like, it doesn't, well, look, it doesn't I, work that way. You know, new generations are always going to have new litmus tests of things that they're ignorant about only for lack of exposure, no matter what the technological advancements are around them. But look, you have to admit, pre-internet, right? We're the last generation that grew up, that had had youth without the full-on immersion of the internet, right? I, I don't. I wasn't regularly going on the internet until my freshman year of college, right? Yeah, I, I mean, no, I people- didn't go. So you're only about a year or two older than me. I didn't go on the internet until I was... 
15 or 16, something like that. I mean, like when I was like 10, I'd go over Nick or Bonnie's house and we'd spend three hours downloading a picture of a woman in a bra. That was like early internet, but that was it, Luke, okay? So what I'm saying is maybe this new generation... I mean, you know, we grew look, I'm old enough to say I grew up with not three channels like my parents, but 12 channels, right? Or, you know, three major channels and some shit channels. So you're naturally going to use the television as your lone basis of information, which shows you, oh, that's that aging singer or basketball player who was really popular when your parents were young. And then your parents are there to validate and say, oh, yes, here's the record. I'll play it for you of this person. Luke, once the internet took over, you control your own destiny in that regard in terms totally. of what you're going to grab to entertain you and, and the pro proliferation of cable television and all that. So it's, I mean, that's why you can't get, you know, 50 million people watching a, a, a sporting event unless it's like the Super Bowl. I mean, it's just the way it is, Luke. Okay? And I mean, listen, Patrick Ewing is right that like of any individual in the last 30 years, who did a lot for that venue, he's probably at the top of that list, if not number one, perhaps. I I'm, okay, I'm okay with the idea that like his achievements are not to be questioned in that building. You know what I mean? He's got some failures there too, but okay. He's got, he did a lot for that, for that, for that business and that uh, brand. But at the same time, dude, it's like uh, this, this desire to remain, this expectation to remain forever relevant it is deeply out of touch with how society turns over. And if this was a celebrity who who was not a part of a, a, a like a sporting brand that's part of a physical location, you know, he was expecting like, oh, I'm I, I don't know. Does Tim Cook walk into an Apple store and expect people to get on their knees? I don't know. I don't know. But imagine he did. It kind of feels like that to me. It's like, dude, do you think those people working security? Oh, I've seen people be like, oh, Patrick Ewing's on the rafters. Do you think? that people who work security there have ever read a single fucking jersey that's on the rafters. Like, taking time to go, wow, Patrick Ewing, fucking Starks, or whoever else is on that fucking thing, that they've spent three seconds looking at that. No, of course not. Of course they fucking haven't. So, there you go. Luke, are you more upset at young people who don't know legends like Patrick Ewing or the people that you're Facebook friends with that the second, you know, somebody dies that's famous instantly is like, man, David Bowie changed my life. He was the inspiration of my youth and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you're 14 years old. You don't know David Bowie, right? Yeah, you don't know. You've never, dude, you're 14. Even if you've listened to Bowie, you've done it sober. It doesn't count. You're not old enough exactly, to have done exactly. this the right way. You need to do heroin to really hear it the right way like <laughs> Luke did, okay? Uh, well, Luke, those uh, Ewing no-sellers are dead wrong, but Sometimes we are too, Luke. So let's get into your favorite segment where we take the L, we, we straddle it, and we sit down on it if necessary, if you bring it with enough timestamps. So it's this new segment called Dead Wrong. It's new? <laughs> Is it I mean, new in really the sense that they're actually going to be right about things we got wrong? All righty. Hey, Luke, you were dead wrong according to this view. Hey, Mikey, can we get the people's names moving forward who, who send in the dead wrong so we can shame them if they're wrong, okay? This person says, uh, Luke was dead wrong on Monday's March 1st odds and end segment about grappling in the contest WNO regarding when co-headliner Rob Roberto Jimenez was supposed to fight, Luke said, the heavyweight over at Danaher Death Squad. Luke, you were wrong. He was supposed to fight Gordon Ryan's younger brother, Nicky Ryan, That's who had right. to withdraw right. due to injury. So, Luke. Good call. Yes, that. I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. That's true. Good call. Good All call. right. Well, speaking of your dong, Luke, let's move on. Uh, Song Yadong's opponent at UFC 259 wasn't some guy named Smith. 
It was actually Kyler Phillips, this viewer says, who put on an incredible display of striking and beat Yadong. How have you guys been doing this for so long and still at a J level? Wow, wow. So who got it wrong here? I guess I did. Oh, um, both of us. No, both of us were like, yeah, who did he fight? And we couldn't come up with it in the moment, Luke. Okay. So I got to yeah. tell you, that's got to be the world's toughest Kyler because I'm imagining most other Kylers have been bullied in high school, but not that one. That one, you don't bully that not one. Not that one. The not other ones you probably one, do. All right. You know who never got bullied in high school, Luke? Islam Makachev. Okay. No. And boy, was Luke ever dead wrong at 59 minutes and 35 seconds of episode 127. Appreciate wow. the timestamp. When he said Islam Makachev got head kicked in his lone loss to Adriano Martins at UFC 192. It wasn't a head kick, but rather a right hand that knocked him out. Below, you can find a link to the KO. Love the show. Big ups from Canada. Wow, we don't normally get along with Canadians historically. Luke, Dude, I love Canadians. You're the one that's got an issue with them. Uh, except for Aaron Okay, Bronstetter. I'll have to go back and watch. I thought that was a head kick, but I guess not. All right. Look, my people originate from, from uh, Quebecois. Not necessarily Canada, but close enough, okay? White trash? All right. Yeah. Uh, we were also dead wrong on Wednesday's SJW, episode 125, maybe, okay? Lomachenko versus Haney. Brian says Loma comes out first. And Luke then says, as he, as he, as he starts a Twitter fight, to which Brian responds, true. It was actually Haney that started the Twitter exchange by twitting, where is Loma, question mark, to which Loma responded with the first tweet that you showed, I'm here waiting for you cowards to decide on a real fight and not a Twitter fight. All right. This was what the show okay. has evolved into? Okay. Yeah, we were dead wrong. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, wrong. What do you want from me? Okay. All right. That's wrong. All right. Uh, this one says, if you come at the king, you best not miss. Many fans have been going at Luke for saying that Irish is the native language of Ireland. But this no, viewer no, no, says... No, no, they've, they've not been coming at me for this, but go ahead. This viewer says it turns out he is right. Yes. Yes. Do we have, do we have uh, anything additional with this? Or is this yes, we do. So, it, so I, I don't know. Was it last week's Dead Wrong? Or was it Wednesday's show where... I can't remember which one it was. Where someone... What, I had said that... Um, the, the original, the native language, I don't know how widespread it is. It's it's Irish. It's not Gaelic. They call it Irish. And the reason I know this, BC, is I've been to pe to the place and I've had Irish people tell me it's called Irish. I would have never have known that were it not for those experiences. So when I relayed that and the guy was like, oh, I'm a Brit, you're wrong. I'm like, I don't, I, I'm going to trust the Irish guy who told me that over the British guy who's telling me that. Well, sure enough, BC, I must have had half a dozen, no, more than that, 10 or 12 even maybe. Uh, Irish dudes write me and be like, that Brit didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. And I shared them with you and the producer of the show. Did I not? Did I not show you visual evidence of them? You sent me text after text saying, <laughs> why do these motherfuckers think that they could just roll up on me and dead wrong me? Don't they understand that I, I'm educated at a quasi-Ivy level? I mean, you were going on and on, Luke. All right? I, I don't think I said any of those things. But what I did say was, People just love for me to dunk on them. Well, to the Irish people who told me I was correct, thank you very much. I look forward to visiting the Emerald Isle soon at some point, I hope. But on top of that, to the Brit who likes to lecture Americans, it is true. Americans do, in fact, like to be lectured by Brits. There is a weird American trait about that. However, you got to be right, motherfucker, and you were not. You were super, super far from that. So back at you, biatch. Yeah, yeah, take that. Take that, you, you, 
You bitches. Take that. All right. Bitches. <sighs> okay. Well, we might as well finish off this show. Uh, Luke, this is what we do every Friday. Uh, we take out our tips and uh, show them to people. And we say, look, we got a recommendation. We got a tip of the cap, a tip of the tip. It's called Just the Tip. Or maybe it's called Tip to Tip. I, Luke, what the hell is this called? Yeah, it's it's I we we are um we're not good at this job. I've noticed that. <laughs> okay. They're telling us in our ear it's tip to tip, Luke. Tip to tip. Okay. Yeah, it's whatever you want to call it at this point, to be quite honest with you. All right. Well, there's a white guy who works on our staff. I thought it was Mikey. It turns out Manich who told me, Hey BC, you know what you should watch? There's a four part TNT produced documentary that came out during NBA All-Star Weekend on, of course, the the famed TNT studio show inside the NBA, right? With Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Ernie Johnson, Shaq. Luke, I finally tracked this down on the old YouTube and watched it. Talk about an ambitious project here from the folks at Inside the NBA. This is a four part. Uh, each one's over an hour long and each of the four chapters in this documentary focus almost exclusively on on one of the the hosts that make this show great and look this is a just a fantastic piece of business it's not a documentary style one it's a little bit more uh it's a little bit more different but uh luke i will tell you this you know of course we all love that show right it's done it, it was a groundbreaking show it still is look i haven't watched it in years but you want to go back to 2002 2003 you know prime time luke of me sitting on a couch right not really living my life in the right direction, you would plan your chemicals around this show being on. I mean, this was beyond must-see TV to get your NBA highlights, to get Chuck's ridiculous uh, response. And, you know, watching this this documentary, Luke, man, um, I, I tip my cap to this show because I don't even think I realized how much this show inside the uh, NBA success birth shows like this show morning combat and how much people like charles barkley and those type of fun personalities were able to really you know change uh certain things and and open up new lanes and um i give that show a lot of credit and i'm sure it's still fantastic i've loved when Shaq joined them you know about a decade into what they were doing really well and uh i'll say that uh when I watch that show, Luke, it definitely fires me up the same way I get fired up for this show uh, in terms of just being something that's authentic, raw, different, energetic, passionate, fun. And uh, and those guys are forebearers in that regard. So, Luke, if you get a chance to check out the inside story, it's well worth your time. I don't know if you're fans of those guys, Luke. I, I think that's one of the best sports shows on television. I think it's one of the best panel shows on television, quite candidly. I think what they do is you're right. It's like, is it a little bit off the rails at times or a little loose or silly or frivolous or sometimes mean and you know a little bit rough around the edges yes but it's designed to be because it turns out there's a level of authenticity that comes with creating those rough around the edge situations that that's all part of a larger much more interesting kind of project and they pull it off they've they've found a way to balance it each guy serves a really critical and and uh, functional at rolling, it works, dude. It works, you know. And I, obviously, it's mostly colored by Shaq and Barkley going at each other, but they all serve a pretty valuable function. Right, and and you find you know you you remind yourself by watching the doc how much of a well, how, first of all, how much of a pro EJ Erne is, of course, but how much you know Kenny Smith is the shit stirrer in that group, and you love the chemistry between them. And I think the real um, secret sauce for them, Luke, was just uh, not scripting much. And, you know, and sometimes I think we have our best moments in that regard as well, Luke. So, 
Yeah, that was not a scripted uh, compliment I just gave. Very good. Well, I will definitely check it out. Uh, for me, for my tip this week, um, I, I like to do this when I have a good one. I go through a fair number of books, but uh, most of them are either somewhat interesting or not really worth a recommendation. Like, how often do I come across a topic where I feel like I can share it with a wider audience where it's not uh, too partisan in one direction or the other, it's not too much of a turnoff, and it's sufficiently interesting as a premise to get you hooked? I think I've got one. I've come across this one. Drug Use for Grownups. It's written by a guy called Dr. Carl Hart. Uh, he is a neurologist at Columbia University. He is a tenured, I believe, professor there. He's been studying there for a long time. This guy has done... A lot of times when people put out books, they put out books with inherently controversial, attention-grabbing headlines that seem... They, they, they try to bank on being like, too smart for the room, counterintuitive, and the, the premise is never really delivered. There's sort of elements to what they're saying, but... They couldn't really go as counterintuitively as they thought they could. That is not the case with this book, BC. Now, I've not finished it in all due disclosure, but uh, I'm pretty far in, and it is revelatory. Here is what he argues. Is there some reason to believe that for certain people, drug use can be associated with unemployment, failed relationships, poor health, self-destruction? Yes. But what he shows would do mountains of evidence, and I do mean the kind that kind of shake the foundation of your views about some of this stuff. What he shows unequivocally is that for the overwhelming amount of people in overwhelming amounts of contexts, even with hardcore drugs, there really isn't much to be said for a measurable, lingering, bad life outcome. Most people, most of the time, data shows when they do drugs, whatever their drug of choice might be, they're just fine in the end. They, it doesn't really result in the criminality or the poor health or the addiction issues or any of that, that it, again, it will for some, but the, when you see what the actual numbers are versus what you've been told or what you've been led to believe, and again, this is from a guy who is tenured at Columbia University, uh, it is shocking. It is shocking to see. So he is not really for decriminalization. He is for express uh, legalization, and I, I get, you don't have to agree with everything in there. I really, really challenge someone out there to read this and then come away with the conclusion that this guy didn't do his homework and you've got a better theory for things. This has been one of the more revelatory books I've encountered in a long time. Highest recommendation. What are his thoughts on USADA, Luke? <laughs> uh, two, I, I have to look through the table of contents. It's on my Kindle. Uh, I've not gotten to anything related to performance-enhancing drugs. These are more drugs about out in society that get associated with personal, social, communal collapse. Um, and he's trying Would to say Would you be that interested in becoming the first functioning human, maybe since certain Motley Crue albums, to be able to balance a crack addiction and still do the show, Luke? Uh, well, actually, I'm actually in the part of the book where he talks about crack addiction being largely oversold as a real thing. That, in fact, the rates of addiction for what they say, it are, it is high relative to other drugs. But what was reported at the time was actually totally incorrect. Um, uh, could you? I wouldn't want to try. I'm not really for that kind of a life, BC. Like, I like to advocate for these kinds of freedoms. I don't necessarily think that I'm the guy to walk through that door. I kind of like nice, easy expectations for my day, if at, at all I can put them that way. I try not to go too far or the other. I, I, I can't handle that kind of a thing, so not for me. Yeah, and I grew up, you know, not too far away from 1980s New York City. Luke, crack was very real, bro, very real, okay? 
No, no, it is real. By the way, this guy, Dr. Carl Hart, is African-American. He grew up in some of these communities. This is not a thing that's foreign to him. It wasn't that there wasn't social collapse during the 1980s in uh, various communities, but in particular communities of colors in urban centers. That is true. But the, to the extent that crack was blamed for it, he actually shows it's actually a far more complex reason. And crack was a contributor, but not... Again, it's not that these things are not dangerous or shouldn't come with some degree of uh, uh, understanding and, and personal um, investment, but the idea that we are benefiting by a system that does anything other than legalize these based on what we know about how it's damaged various communities and how much different it could be in another context. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very I can understand book. your liberal stance on that. You're, you live in a city where a man... Why is it have to... Wait, wait, wait. Why, why, wait, wait. Why, why is this at all liberal? Why is this... You're politicizing something that is Washington based clearly on evidentiary crack got, purposes. Got his job back. It's the legacy of Marion Barry. Well done, Luke. It was a it was a joke. Could you never? I mean, I know I'm not allowed to joke about Columbia, but if I bring DC into the joke, and I'm not talking about Cormier. <laughs> Here's here, the problem: I vic- can't tell where your jokes end and your actual points begin. And your actual ignorance lingers. Yes, Luke. Okay. Can I? You know. All right, Luke. I just you know. I'll, I'll be honest about something. Instead of a war on poverty, they got a war on drugs in this country, so the police could bother me. Okay. Seems that way. Right. Seems that there might actually be some evidence for that. So yes. Gro- uh, woman, last time, Dr. Carl Hart, drug use for grownups, chasing liberty in the land of fear. There you go. All right. That's the, I enjoy that tip. I will look up your book, Luke. Okay. Will I read it? That's another story. Do I even read, Luke? Do I read? I don't know. Is is reading art? <laughs> is reading reading? <laughs> Does reading lead to art? Hey, Luke, I just finished another painting. You want to see it? Yeah, let's see it. Oh, yeah, look, I think there. You know, what do you what do you feel when you look at this, Luke? Are we going to do like a Rorschach test or something? Yes, yes, Luke. This is really this is a uh, it's really an editorial on our country. I feel right like here. you put uh, your uh, your. Your naked, hairy belly up against your toothbrush or something? I don't know. Okay. 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 Right. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's Look, ra- it's raining. It's raining on dis- a. It's, it's it's raining on the Hindenburg. I, I'm not sure. This is a storm of political distrust. Here is you within the MMA journalism space. Here is the storm of dishonesty and snakes around you, trying to yeah. suffocate and overwhelm you, Luke. Okay. Yeah, it's true. That's been that way for a long time. Yeah, Luke. I also wanted to shout out our listeners, our fans, because uh, they're they're fantastic. Luke, I know we always shine light on uh, you know Bill and Jen what they do in the RV. The Australian fans are passionate UK and Irish fans. And by the way, you saying them welcoming you back into Ireland with open arms. Did they see the video of you celebrating Poirier's, uh knockout? Okay, and when they do, they won't see it. We don't Poirier shout out way. enough our. We don't shout out enough our, our passionate Polish fans, Luke. And since it's uh, Punchki season, I did want to uh, I did want to get into here, Luke. I bought some Punchki. Oh, show me those. Show oh, me those. Yeah, bro. Check out this Bavarian cream right here. So wait, can you? Before, no, wait, wait. Split it down the middle. Let me see. Oh, look at Egg Shen. Uh oh, we gotta go. <laughs> we gotta go. Be. We gotta go fight Lopan. <laughs> look at him. Oh, I can't teach the secrets to the Guai Lo. <laughs> Look at this fool. Look at Egg Shen. Look at Egg Shen driving his fucking it's so bus. Good, bro. If you I don't if you don't Photoshop that as a viewer of this show, you're dead to me. Look, I love our Polish fans, all right? I love all them Polacks. Look, this is great. I love this shit. All right? <laughs> Where do you get Pooch Where do you get those? 
The damn grocery store, bro. Oh, see, you got to be in the Northeast to get that. You can't get that here. All right. All right. That's it. That's all I got. You know? Close the show, then. I mean, I'm kind of closing down this poonchki right here, Luke. I see that. All right. You can follow us and subscribe while Brian chooses food. Uh, let's see. Morning Combat is the same name everywhere with a K, but the names for Brian and I on social media tend to differ a little bit. So take a screenshot and give us a follow there. You want to hit up the show for Dead Wrong, four fan submissions, four videos or photoshops of Brian looking like Egg Shen from Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, morningcombat at gmail.com. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Just email the show. Producers will check it. All right. Yeah, just do it. Uh, just do it. All right. Uh, let's see, Brian. We can get merch. Oh, I, I have merch. Here we go. Morning Combat merch. Store.show.com for mugs like, or I should say cups like this, tumblers like this, mugs, hats, shirts, the whole nine. And if you want to try Showtime, you can. 30 days for free. Showtime.com. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go to something else with your life. And I think for the Bellator sign up, $4.99 for the first six months if you do. But you get the entirety of the Showtime experience. It's like getting DAZN yes. plus HBO Max put together or something. I'm not sure exactly what they Yeah, take that. Download Paramount Plus, too, and make our bosses Dude, happy. Dude, that Showtime also, app is sneaky, man. You fall down a rabbit hole in the Showtime app. Yes, and Luke, obviously I'm paid by fucking the, Showtime. But Can you watch the action documentary already? I got to yes. ask you about that yes. guy who sits in the... Yeah, okay, all right. All right. Uh, so, yeah, that's our show DJs. for this week. Please uh, check out the fights this weekend. We'll be uh, we'll be back. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, MK all day, nearly every day. Check out Luke's uh, live chat from Thursday. Also, if you haven't seen our Donkeymentary 2.0, MK the Redemption, and our exclusive interview with David Benavides on Morning Combat, check out all the bonuses we've got going on there. Uh, what a time to be alive, Luke. Hope everybody's got their mental health in check. Look, sometimes you got to put yourself first, all right, so you can put one step in front of the other. It's thawing up here in the Northeast. It's getting warm again, Luke. I'm getting fired up. I'll be in Puerto Rico next week, okay? I'm going to be, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to get very cultured, cultural, all right? Shout all out right. to our Japanese fans too, Luke, okay? Big, and big And then after we get the vaccine, bro, you got to come down to D.C. and we got to work out in the front yard together uh. like two homeless uh, DC and minute. DC gonna make it look easy. That is, I love that. I love that ish right there. Uh, shout out to our great team, Malka. Like, do you, do you hear my family yelling? Do you hear them yelling? I do. I do. Yes. Okay. Yes. They want you back, Luke. Okay. Right. Uh, shout out to uh, Gaff, Manich, Mikey Morms in our ears. Uh, maybe we'll see Jay again. I'm not really sure. But best of luck to uh, Pennington James in his future. All right. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. Stay loyal to your uh, to your friends and your lovers, all right? And uh, I've got two more words for you. For Luke Thomas, I'm Brian Campbell. We out. Yeah. I'm it's done. a symphony of percussion. Oh, what a onslaught by Benavides! Two-time former champion David Benavides. He could be a megastar. Takes on Ronald Ellis in a super middleweight clash. Ellis has the look of a guy possessed. Plus, Isaac Cruz fresh off of one of 2020's biggest knockouts. Saturday, March 13th, it's an action-packed doubleheader, live on Showtime.